you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John. This morning we're going to be in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 20. As we begin this Easter season or continue in this Easter season, we're going to really look at the implications of an empty tomb. I mean, these seismic, life-changing, history-changing implications. If Jesus is alive, it truly does change everything. But what I love about this season that we're going to enter into is when it comes to Jesus, doubters seem to be welcome. They seem to be welcome close by, even some of his closest disciples, those who would travel with him for three years and see all that they saw and hear all that they heard and experience all that they could experience. Even them were doubters. Even them oftentimes were deniers. They were like you. They were like me. Uh, they, they wanted to know what was this whole crucifixion event all about. And so whoever you are and wherever you've been, there's good news is that God wants to speak to each of us. Whether we are those who, man, like this is my story. I know I'm all in. And those of you who wonder, like, I'm not quite sure where I fit. Let me just say, doubters are welcome and not only that, he has a way of just dealing with us and meeting us right where we are. It's just the beauty of our, our gospel story of our Savior. All right, who knows what Moab is? Anybody here familiar with Moab? Any, anybody know? Well, as I imagine most of you who know your Bible and have been around the, the Bible story, you'll know Moab. Moab is a city uh, in the Bible with a really interesting story. As a matter of fact, how that story emerges is a kind of crazy story uh, that has to do with a guy named Lot and his, and his daughters. But I'll have you research that on your own. But the, the, the place of Moab, it actually intersects the storyline of the Bible in a beautiful way. Uh, although they were seemingly outside of God's chosen people, these Moabites, there was one girl named Ruth who was a righteous girl that believed in God and his promises and that history will be changed. That, as a matter of fact, Jesus' bloodline will find its way to the Moabites. So how many of you all know Moab? Now I tricked you, didn't I? You were thinking, yeah, and Moab. I know Moab. What is Moab in today's day and age? It is it's the mother of all bombs. We just found out about it. I mean, you didn't know about Moab. I didn't know about Moab. But somebody kicked the mother of all bombs outside of a huge Air Force flying plane. And it lands in Afghanistan. And we all know about Moab, the mother of all bombs. Apparently the largest non-nuclear bomb ever dropped. And we live in a time where we can actually watch on video Moab's destruction. Well, in Jesus's day, the, they didn't have that mother of all bombs the way we do. The Moab, the mother of all bombs for the Roman Empire was a Roman cross. I mean, that was, that was their Moab. That was a place that, that stories find their ending. That is where criminals' lives are ended. Those who, who were even considered human. I mean, that was the ultimate killing machine was a Roman cross. And it was really, it was meant to be such a public humiliation, such a horrific event that, that really you don't recover from that. I mean, your story doesn't recover from the shame of that. Your, your family doesn't recover from that. Well, the crucifixion of Jesus was supposed to be the end of the story 
as Jesus as the Messiah. The end of the story that, that he was the promised one of God that was going to come and to, to make all things new, to change the world, that he was the answer. And the cross was the Moab saying, well, we're going to, we're going to bomb or put an end to the story of Jesus. Well, what the Romans thought and the religious leaders thought might be the end of the story. It's amazing is this, is that Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection proved actually to be the story. It wasn't the end of the story. I mean, it, it, it brought life to the story. I mean, it was actually the Moab of the Bible. It's the, the mother of all bombs is the reality that Jesus died for our sins and unbelievably he came back to life that the power of God resurrected him because he lives, we live. And what was that crucifixion is now actually proving to be the story. Well, if you were there and you saw Jesus nailed to a cross, if you were there and you saw his body placed in the tomb, And even though he talked about coming back to life, and even though there was rumors of this, I I, got to be honest, I think we would have a lot of doubt. I mean, there would be a lot of doubt thinking, I mean, we just, dead people, crucified people don't come back to life. That's over finished. And those doubters were even part of his closest circle. Even those who have been there the longest, even those who heard it, even those at the very end whose feet were washed by Jesus. Even those had a tendency to doubt. Well, this Easter season, as we look through the ramifications of the the resurrection and rejoice in that, we're going to look at this Moab, the mother of all bombs, if you will, not the crucifixion, but the resurrection. And in God, in the way that he is just only able, he invites all of us, wherever you are, with your doubts and your fears and with your concerns and where the story doesn't seem to intersect yours, he says, you're welcome. When you come, Come and let's hear God's word. Let's, let's pick up the story uh, in the gospel of John, John chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 19 through 31 as we picture, pick up this implication of the resurrection. But let's be mindful that this story wasn't given to us by God himself. God breathed this story, not just to entertain us, but to transform us and, and to meet us exactly where you are. God wants to speak to you today. He wants to speak to you through his word. So can we all draw near as I read? Let's be mindful. This is God's holy, inerrant word. The gospel of John 20, verses, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands inside, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Is that the most understated verse ever in all of history? They saw him and they were glad. But Jesus, in verse 21, said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other's disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I would love to have heard that conversation to see the expression, the animation, the joy, and yet the doubt. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my fingers finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That a boy, Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it into my side. Interesting, the Greek here is very emphatic. Grab your hand and it uses the word to throw, balo, throw your hand into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Now, Father God, thank you for this incredible story. It's an incredible story that you would reveal yourself to your disciples, locked in fear and in doubt, that you would show up. And God, you'd be so gracious to Thomas. Thomas, who so emphatically says, I'm just not going to believe until I can see and touch the reality of Jesus. And God, thank you. You gave him that ability and that blessing. But God, thank you that you give us an even greater blessing. The blessing to see you by the gift of faith of who you really are. And God, would you give that blessing to each and every one of us in this room? Maybe some for the very first time. God, would you come with power and would you speak through a broken sinner and a doubter and a struggler like me? And God, would you use me to speak your truth? Would you give us ears to hear your word? And God, would you graciously give us minds to understand your word? And God, would you soften our hearts so that we can embrace uh, your truth and your love and your reality? And that, God, you would touch our hearts in such a way that you would just drive out our fears and our doubts. And thank you for loving us even in the midst of them. That God, that you would be with us in a way that you would empower our feet, that, that we could walk in newness of life, that you'd breathe resurrected breath upon each of one of us and that you would make new the things in us that are dead and make alive the things in us that still are in the flesh. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things quickly be forgotten and fall away. 
But the things that are said that are true and contain this incredible good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless and holy name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, you will find in your bulletin an outline to do so. We're going to look at Jesus breathing life, breathing resurrected life back into the story that breathing resurrected life back into the disciples and breathing resurrected life back into our calling. The first thing is this. Jesus is going to be breathing life back into the story. And if there's ever a story that needed to have life breathed back into it, it was this one. I mean, here you have Jesus who's, who's resurrected. And, and where do we find his disciples Where do we find those world changers? Where do we find the ones that that were with him for three years? They are locked in fear. They find themselves in in an upper room locking the doors. Why? Because they're fearful that their lot was going to be like Jesus's lot. They killed him. They're going to kill us. And because of the fear of the Jews, I mean, they've locked themselves away. By the way, I love the fact they're still together. But they're absolutely in fear. And they're in fear and Jesus is going to be breathing life into their, their story. And really, we got to realize he's breathing life into the whole story of the Bible. I love the way that Jesus says he, he breathed upon them. It says the reality that he brought, brought, breathed resurrection life upon them. Because really, this is the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is how God himself breathes upon us and gives us life. If, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, incredible how God creates everything out of nothing. It's absolutely incredible that he makes you and me in his image and reflection to know and love him. And in Genesis 2 verse 7, it says that, that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being. And now that, that breath of God That breath of God that brought life to the story is going to bring resurrected life to these disciples. Again, he's going to use that breath to breathe upon those broken, afraid disciples and remind them that the story continues in him. He's going to breathe that resurrection life upon them and make them new. But what he's going to say is this, listen, this is not a new story. He's not saying, okay, this is something very, very new. He's saying, no, no, no. The promise that God made from the beginning, the promise of a seed that would come that would rescue, the promise that God himself would raise up a Messiah that would take away our sins and give us life, the one who's going to restore us to God. This is the story. It's not, it's not completely new. No, no, no. I'm just breathing new resurrected life to show you this was the storyline all along. It's not a different story. And we can also saying, by the way, I'm not a different Jesus. It's not a spiritual Jesus. It's not a manifestation of Jesus. It's not some kind of different Jesus. Jesus is very intentional to show them. Guys, this is me. You saw me hanging there. You got, you got it. You want, you want to touch these things? You want to see the broken? This is me. I was dead, but I'm now alive. I mean, I, I absorbed the father's wrath, but now we have the father's pleasure that the story continues. I am the one. It's not a new Jesus. I am the same Jesus, the one who was crucified on the cross. So what Jesus is doing is he shows up in that upper room and these, these disciples who are just paralyzed in fear, he's saying to them, hey, listen, 
There's new life. I'm going to breathe life into you. And that, that life is the light and life of man. And that life is the same storyline that God has always told, been telling. And I am the Jesus that was promised. Though I was dead, behold, I live. The second thing is, he's not only breathing life into the story. He's breathing life back into the disciples. You see, Jesus isn't willing to give up the storyline that God has been writing all throughout redemptive history. He's reconciling, restoring that. And I love this. Listen, Jesus isn't going to give up on the storytellers, his disciples either. I don't understand God's plan. To me, I would think that if Jesus rose from the dead, he'd look at his disciples and say, well, let me look at their track record. They denied me. They ran away from me. They betrayed me. They said that they would give their life for me. They didn't do it. And, and maybe it's time to look for another bunch of guys. Wouldn't you think that that would be maybe a good idea? Let's look for some people that doesn't have resumes that are spotty as these. Let's look for some proven track record. Give me the good ones. No, he went to those he loved. He went to those he laid his life down for. He went to those he would call friends. And he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up on these storytellers. And what are these storytellers doing? They are locked in fear. They're trembling. This is how he is going to change the world. And clearly, he needs to breathe life into his disciples. Clearly, he needs to breathe new life into them as they're gathered locked behind locked doors in that upper room. And that's what he does. He comes and literally breathes upon them new life. How does he do it? Well, he does a couple different things. He breathes life into disciples by first and foremost driving out fear. They're terrified. The first thing he's saying to them is, listen, do not fear. Why shouldn't they fear? They just saw the Messiah get crucified, the one they've been following. Why should they fear? At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, you're familiar that if you know the Bible, it's, it's called the Great Commission. And as Jesus is going to ascend into heaven, he's going to, he's, he's going to call his disciples to, to go and to proclaim the good news and to teach and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and that that message should go worldwide. He says something right before that. It's really, really interesting. He says, he says, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I love that passage to think, wasn't all authority always given to him? And this is God's son. But somehow through, through Jesus's humiliation of taking on flesh and, and Jesus fulfilling the law and Jesus dying to death, that, that Moab experience of, of that crucifixion and resurrection, now all authority in heaven and earth has been, been given in place into these nail-pierced hands. And when Jesus says, do not be afraid, he speaks to us as the one who is in ultimate authority, the one who has ultimate power. I mean, this is Jesus saying, do not be afraid. Why? Because power and authority are mine. What are you afraid of? What power does that fear have over you? And then he's saying, listen, don't be afraid because why? All reason to fear has been defeated. What are our biggest fears? I mean, our biggest fear ultimately being made in God's image and being separated from him because of our sin. He's saying, listen, I, I paid the price for your sin, not just in part, but all of it. And anything that would separate you from a holy God, fully paid. And any feeling, wrath you feel or displeasure you think that God should have against you because he, he's holy and you're not, I've bridged it. And not only that, the fear of death, that greatest fear of all of us, I've conquered it. Look at me. Death has been defeated. And as I live, you live, will live as well. Do not fear. He's breathing life back into his disciples saying, 
Don't fear. What do we know about this? There's no life when you're locked up in fear, is there? I know I'm, I know I'm talking to many of you. Where are you locked up in fear? What a part of your life is just locked up and, and, and just locked down because of fear of something that will happen or something that did happen, that something's controlling and it's absolutely robbing your life. And here the resurrected Savior, by the way, I love him. He, he shows up behind locked doors. He shows up behind locked doors and says, well, listen, don't, don't fear. Because I got all authority. I got all power. There's nothing. Listen, if I'm for you, who could be against you? I've defeated all of our enemies. Don't fear. You're mine. You're beloved. So not only does he say, don't fear because there's no life if we're locked up in fear. But he breathes life into disciples by giving them peace. He replaces fear with peace. Did you hear how many times he told his disciples like he's a broken record? What does he keep saying to them? Hey, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Let's drive out fear. Peace be with you. You see, Jesus is, is offering them peace. It's really beautiful because why? He's the instrument of peace. I often say as a pastor, and I love saying it, peace, peace to you. Hey man, blessings to you. Peace to you. Peace be with you. Blessings and peace. Do you know how much peace I could give you? <laughs> Nada. Not one thing. Let's be honest, right? Can I give you any peace? No way. Can anybody really give you? I mean, I can wish you peace and I do. I can wish you blessings and I do. I mean, I, I, I want you to live in peace. But here's Jesus. He's standing in the room in that locked door. And it, he's the only one who's made peace possible. He's made peace possible through his life and, and through his death and through his resurrection. And now peace with a holy God is ours. And, and we can even have peace with ourselves. Even as broken and messed up as we are, we, we can really realize that, hey, in Christ Jesus, I'm okay. And he's made me whole. And he's making me better. I, got, I can feel okay. I got peace with me because God's got peace with me because of him. And we can be at peace with one another because he's made it possible. Right before Jesus' death, he tells his disciples, matter of fact, John tells us this. I mean, he's going to wash their feet in chapter 13 and chapter 14. He's going to remind them that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to tell them that he's going to prepare a place for us. And they're still confused and trying to figure this out. And like, why is he washing our feet? And where is he going? And why can't we go there? And then he's going to say to them something amazing. He says, listen, guys, peace I'm going to leave with you. More than that, I'm going to give you my peace. What is Jesus's peace? I mean, here is God himself in flesh. Here is the peace of God who's giving us the God of peace. And when he comes to us and he says, peace be with you. If, if you ever have stood in a relationship with Jesus and he says to you, peace be with you, he and he alone has the authority to do that. And how amazing is the fact that he does that for us repeatedly. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Because of the Moab of the reality of a cross and a resurrection, you can have peace with the Holy God. Peace be with you. He's the only one who can offer it. And who does he offer it to? His disciples. Was there ever a more undeserving bunch at this point in history? And these folks that denied and turned away and these folks that ran and, and made a mess of it. He promises peace. You see, there's no life without fear and there's no life without peace. Where are you looking for peace? Where are you looking for it, man? We all long for it. I mean, are you looking 
somewhere apart from the gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Because the only peace that we could ever have is if the God of peace gives us the peace of God. It's incredible. He says, my peace I give to you. Everything else is, is false and fake. Nothing else will satisfy. The only peace that you and I could ever know and have is found by God's grace in Jesus, the peacemaker. The peacemaker with our God. So he's going to breathe life into them by driving out fear, by, by giving them peace. And he's going to do more. He's going to breathe life into the disciples by empowering them. He's going to breathe upon them the Holy Spirit. He promises that another is going to come. A, a comforter will come. And, and this, this Holy Spirit will empower us to do what God has called us to do. And this is incredible. God's not only removing fear. He's not only pushing in peace. But he's also empowering. He's powering us with the Holy Spirit to, to do that which God has called us to do. I say this often, and it's true, it's incredible about our God, what God requires of us, and he's holy God, he requires a lot. God provides for us. God provides for us in his son and the power of his spirit. He's given everything we need to live our lives with that peace and that power. You see, what it's basically saying to this is that, that good news of the gospel, it, it, it unlocks those doors that we want to lock, uh, those d- doors of fear that we hide ourselves in. And I love this reality about Jesus. He steps in the midst of those, high, of those locked doors. Are you trying to keep me out? <laughs> you can't keep me out. There's not a place in your life that you're hiding from that Jesus can't enter. There's not a fear that he can't dispel. There's not a lack of peace that he can't fill. This is Jesus, God Almighty. He's got an incredible way of showing up behind locked doors and offering really good news. And showing up behind locked doors and saying, I can empower you. I will breathe upon you the Holy Spirit. Let me give you this paraclete, this comforter to walk with you. That's what the gospel does. What doors are you hiding behind? What locked doors in your life? And then you have Thomas. (laughs) Poor guy. How would you like to be known by doubting Thomas? You know, if you look at scripture, matter of fact, the gospel of John tells us that John 11 when they were going back to Bethany because Lazarus needed to be raised from the dead. And they're all like, oh my gosh, they wanted to kill us there last time we went. We're all going to go. Thomas stood up and said, hey, by the way, let's go with him. We're going to die with him. Good for you, Thomas. Seemed to be like, not doubting Thomas there. He seemed to be bold Thomas. But what's he got? The guy's going to be known his whole life as doubting Thomas. Well, maybe rightfully so. I'm not going to believe until I see and touch him. But he wants to say, hey, I, I, you know, the story of the disciples, even, even his closest friends, it's crazy. But when he touches him, what does he proclaim? My Lord and my God. This is one of the most clear declarations of all scripture of who Jesus is. It's beautiful. If you like the Bible and the literary aspect of the Bible, this is so not just beautiful. It's a clear declaration theologically, but we see the fulfillment of the gospel of John coming full circle because the gospel of John begins so beautifully. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And now you hear Thomas declaring, yes, Jesus is God. I get it. And it says in John 1 that in Jesus was the light and life of man. And at the end of this story, we see that in Jesus and believing him, we have life. It's true. And he is this one. And he's able to proclaim this clear, beautiful statement. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. You see, when life is breathed into us 
And by God's grace, we could say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Everything changes. It's the ultimate Moab. Where are you looking for your empowerment? Your empowerment just to navigate life and the brokenness of life, the craziness of all things come around. Where are you looking to navigate that? Are you looking anywhere apart from Jesus saying, my Lord and my God. He, brought, he was breathing life into the story. He was breathing life into the disciples. He's breathing life back into the calling. You see, the story of the Bible, it's, it's really one story. Don't, don't get confused because a lot of different stories and a lot of different things happen. There's one story of the Bible. And the one story of the Bible, there is a God. In the beginning, God. It starts with him. And this God creates everything out of nothing. And he creates us in a unique way to reflect him. But we got a job to do. It's always been God's desire. He created this earth. Why? To be filled with his glory or to be filled with his story or be filled with his love. We are to be the ones who, who are his storytellers. So God has created us to do what? To bring light into darkness. It's always been that way. It's this way today. It was a way in the beginning to bring order into the chaos, to bring beauty into the void. This has been always God's plan for us and for you and for me and to fill this earth with his glory. And now what God is doing with these disciples, what he's doing us, he's, he's breathing back life into the calling. God has never changed his mind about what he wants to do with the earth. He, and he will not. And he will accomplish his plan. And he's basically saying, I've created you for me to know and love me and be loved well by me, to find life in my relationship with me, but also to live not just in submission to me as your king, but on mission for me, for your king. Jesus says to his disciples, listen, as my father sent me, so I send you. So how did the father send his disciples or I send his son? How did the father send Jesus as Jesus is now sending us? We know that God so loved the world that he would send his only son. He sent it in love. That God is now in Christ Jesus sending us to the world in love. He's basically saying, hey, I want to I tell the world's story. And the way you love one another is the way they'll identify you as my disciples. The way you love me in love. He doesn't say, I want you to send you in protest. I don't want to send you to throw stones. I don't want to send you in judgment. I don't want to tell you, you send you in a way that you just... Tell the world how horrible it is. I want to send you in love as I send you. And I want you to do this. I want to send you to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, that's his whole mission. His whole mission was to come look for lost folks like you and me. And he succeeded. He didn't miss one. And now he says, that's how I'm going to send you. to. We're here for him to seek and to save the lost. You know, it's interesting. There's a passage here that's hard to interpret. He says to his disciples, and I think uniquely to his disciples here, the forgiveness of sins that you forgive, we're going to forgive. And the ones you don't, you're not. He's giving them some, some authority, apostolic authority here. But I think the point is for us is the mission is the same. Go proclaim good news. I was reading a devotional by Scotty Smith, one of my favorites, Everyday Prayers. I love it. You should be reading it. It's great. Really gospel-centered. And he, he, he just said something that just penetrated my heart. He's, he was confessing, saying, I don't have enough non-Christian friends. I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm not sure I do either. I mean, listen, we should be sticking together. We should be loving one another. But we're ambassadors to tell good news. And I'm telling you, we should know people well that don't know Jesus. And we should be able to go and be able to talk to them and love them right where they are. 
You don't have to ask God to give you a mission field. You're in a mission field. You don't have to ask God to change your surroundings. Just ask God to open your eyes to your surroundings. You don't have to ask God to change who you are or give you different gifts. You just got to say, God, empower me with your spirit. I'm your servant and I'm willing and ready. Let me go tell the story wherever you send me. And may we be a church that's filled with relationships with a world that doesn't know them. Because we've been called to come and seek and to save the lost. Orangewood, roll up your sleeves. Get to know your neighbors. They invite you to some crazy places. As long as you get your spouses or kids permission. Forget your kids. Go, go do it. Go love them. Be on mission. Our mission was always to be the light of the world. If we're only light with each other, we've missed it. Right? And he's called you to where you are. As I sent, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Go in love. Go to seek to save the lost and go to bring the Father glory. We're sent in the same way. To be his storytellers. I know this for sure. If he didn't give up on the disciples, he's not going to give up on you. If he decided to still use them and empower them, he's empowering us. And there's not one of you who say that I'm not good enough or gifted enough to be a storyteller for Jesus. He's gifted you and he wants to call and use you. Listen, he wants to use your broken story. He wants to use your limited gifts. He wants to use all of that to tell incredible good news right where you are. And I love how incredibly personal Jesus is. (laughs) He shows up in places that are locked. And not only that, he's close enough to them that he breathes on them. He breathes resurrected breath on them. What do you think that smelled like? I'm sorry, I'm kind of the weird person that thinks you've been in the grave for three years. Three years, three days. Completely changed the story. But he was close and intimate enough to breathe on them. He's close and intimate enough to be touched by them. And he still is. I mean, it's a different way. It's in spirit. But I love that, that, that closeness. Do you know that closeness that, that Jesus just wants to enter into those locked doors and those upper rooms and those places of doubt and those places of brokenness and breathe life and breathe life into those and to be reminded that you're loved that we by faith can touch the scars that have made us whole. That we by faith can be realized that he was pierced for us. You see, Thomas was given something that was a blessing. A Moab in his life, a mother of all bombs that would change to say, I will never believe until I see. And he was able to say incredible, beautiful words of Jesus. My Lord and my God. And by God's grace, those who are more Blessed than Thomas, doubters like you and me who have been empowered to believe. And if you have the ability by God's grace to say of Jesus that he is the Christ, he is the son of God. And as John would say, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you have that resurrected breath that's been breathed upon you, if you've experienced that, that Moab, that mother of all bombs, that because Jesus lives, I'm forgiven and free. Man, that's such good, good news. What doors are locked because of fear in your life? What areas of doubt do you're still struggling with? Would you bring the resurrected Savior in to say, come breathe that all authority of heaven and earth upon these. Come and bring that power of the resurrection. 
Come and dispel the fear and the darkness and replace it by light. Come and remind me the story that I'm yours and I'm loved. And you choose to have me tell that story to others. Let us pray. Jesus, your patience and your long suffering and your glory and your beauty and your power and your majesty are absolutely unmatched. Here you are, the promised Messiah. Here you are, the lamb who was slain. Here you are, resurrected with all authority in heaven and earth as yours. And where do you go? You go to lock rooms with scared disciples to say, come on, fellas, I'm breathing life on you. The world's got to change and I'm choosing you to tell the good news of that change through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that story, Jesus, because that's still your story. That Jesus is the only hope for the world he was, is, and forever will be. The only way home and the only way to make all things new. And you're not giving up on the story. And the story is that you created this world to fill, be filled with your glory. And the story is if you've called your people to yourself to be the agents of bringing that light and that beauty into the world. You use doubters. You use the broken. You use the cheaters. You use the, the sinful. And you redeem us by your grace and the blood of your son. And you empower us with the Holy Spirit. And you send us into a world that needs desperately to hear good news. Holy Spirit, you've been given to us to drive away our fear, to bring us the peace of Christ, and to empower us to live. Would you draw us again to Jesus? Would you remind us of who we are and whose we are? And would you use this church to proclaim incredible good news. We pray in Christ's name, amen.